0: Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health
1: challenges, and more.
0: This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto.
1: And good evening and welcome to the show. Hope you had a lovely weekend so far. Weather is nice. Uh, I took my wife Pumpkin out for her birthday to a patio on Thursday night, first time in, well forever it feels like since all this started we had a great time service was amazing I never thought I'd like to sit on the, on the sidewalk by the street and uh, call that a good seat. But, um, you know, we learn to change as time goes on and we adapt, as they say, but we had a lovely evening. And I encourage everybody, if you're properly vaccinated and you do all the right things, get out there and have some fun, man. It's time to come out the other side of this. We're no longer going to be victims and we're going to treat this pandemic and we'll never use that word again. We're going to treat this horrible situation like a bully, right? So we're not going to be victims to the bully. We're going to stand up and defend ourselves, get out there, do all the right things, and uh, get out and have some fun and giggle and laugh. Like, that's what's good for us, right? Speaking of giggling and laughing, this is a call-in segment. If you want to give us a call, 416-870-6400, or if you need to call toll-free, that's 888 talk which is 8255, if you're like me and you can't figure it out. Or you can get us, uh, if you're getting out of the car now and you want to get in the house and you don't want to miss me, 640toronto.com, and you can dial in immediately. So we uh, have a lot to do tonight. we got a couple of guests, all kinds of cool stuff. I have Sophia in the studio with us. I have our, uh, our, our supervising uh, uh, production uh, guy, uh, Corey. He's overseeing everything as well. And we have Devin in the studio. He may not hear us, but he's trying it out tonight just so when you call, be nice to him. Say, hi, Devin. How you doing? Congratulations on the gig. Anyway, we want to hear from you. So listen, here's the question. Do you use edibles, smoke weed? Like, you know, you can call us and we're not going to tell anybody it's legal. You're allowed to do that now, right? So we want to talk about edibles and all that kind of stuff because that's what the first segment is about tonight. We're talking about whether, you know, people are doing what they're doing responsibly. As a matter of fact, I got a phone call from a woman uh, not long ago, well, maybe two or three weeks ago, and she wanted some help. She said that her husband is now trying to change their custody order of their two children under the ages of 12, and because one of the children, the 8-year-old, accidentally ate a 10-milligram gummy and ended up in sick kids for two days. husband found, or ex-husband father of the kids found out about it and made a big deal about it. So I figured that was something we should be talking about a little bit tonight. Children are at risk, according to CNN, children are at risk of accidental poisoning from edibles and other products made from marijuana. And there's a study analyzing calls to the poison control centers in the U.S. from January of 2017 through the end of 2019. And the calls were about poisoning resulting of, result of the consumption product of consuming products, excuse me, such as weed concentrates, extracts, beverages, vape juice, like it comes in everything, right? Uh, edibles more often than children under 10, the study found compared to calls about dried or pre-rolled cannabis. So less kids are act, are getting access to, or, you know, your father's weed in the old days, right? Just uh, the, the dried stuff it takes work, right? You can't just eat it. You could eat it and get sick. We'll get to that in a little bit. But you can't eat it like you could a gummy or a drink uh, an edible or eat a piece of chocolate. Um, that stuff is much more impactful and is making people sick. The largest proportion of those called involved edibles of 36, 36.6% of the people in the study found. And it's a trend that a lot of pediatricians and emergency room doctors have seen over the years. More specifically in states obviously that uh, have legalized marijuana, according to Brian Johnson, he's the executive committee member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and he sits on their council uh, for injury, violence, and poisoning prevention. He actually wasn't part of the study, but uh, he did comment on the uh, on the story. Children are especially vulnerable to poisoning by cannabis and edible products, like no kidding, right? It looks like they're vitamins for for Pete's sake. If you look at an edible, you know the the edible uh, gummies, the little gummy bears that you know are filled with usually ten ten milligrams of THC and CBD. I mean, they look like the products and the stuff that kids want to chew and eat. I mean, they're really attractive if they're do if the if the marketers are doing their job well. You know, we know how all that works out. So the products look like cookies, brownies, gummies, candies. Comes in soda form. So if you pour yourself a a glass of uh, THC infused beverage and leave it on the counter. You know, there's a chance that Billy or Betty or one of the kids might take a sip because it looks good, probably smells good, and even and, and they're actually intentionally product uh, packaged, excuse me, to resemble other products. According to this guy Johnson, he's also a professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington. Products made from weed often have higher levels of THC than the unprocessed cannabis plant. Yeah, 100 percent, much more intense. And the toxins in marijuana smoke may be harmful to health. People find, but despite Uh, They're ordinary, so people don't smoke because they're concerned about the toxins. Wanna hear from you. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred triple eight two two five talk if you're calling toll free. Uh wanna give Devin a shot to take some calls and we want to hear from you about your experiences with edibles or smokables. Any chance that maybe uh you've seen something happen to the kids around you or a situation that almost happened and you covered yourself or just an experience that you've had with the uh, you know, edibles or THC since they become legal. Uh, I'm glad to talk to you about it. That's one of the things I can share with some degree of expertise. Despite their ordinary appearance, a single cannabis cookie or candy bar contains several times the recommended adult dose of THC. So anyone who eats one of these things, one of these products, especially a child, can experience overdose effects like intoxication, altered perception, anxiety, big time, panic, paranoia. Paranoia is a big thing we see in uh, teenagers that are using uh, edibles and they can't control it or, you know, bongs and they're smoking too much or poppers, which is tobacco and, and nicotine together. We'll get to that another night. Dizziness, weakness, slurred speech, poor coordination or even breathing and heart problems. So marijuana abuse by youth with mood disorders is linked to suicide attempts and self-harm according to the same study. The study also found more calls to poison control centers about marijuana in states that have legalized weed. Well, that makes sense, right? If it's more available, more accessible, you're going to get more calls on this kind of stuff. Higher rates in legal states suggest that continued increases may be expected with adult cannabis use legalized in more states, wrote a team of the researchers. In addition, manufacturers may develop even more novel approaches Uh, The study uh, goes on to say, which uh, uh, which will present, obviously, additional health risks. And using weed during pregnancy is linked to psychoactive-like behaviors in children. Pediatricians believe that if cannabis is legalized for recreational use, there should be a strong very strong regulation requiring edible products to be sold in child-resistant packages and all kinds of uh, um, notifications about dangers to those who are pregnant and so on and so forth. These should be reasons. By the way, I think that the caution on uh, packaged marijuana in whatever form should uh, be a caution around, you know, if you have uh, issues with anxiety, depression, you know, PTSD and so on, that you should talk to your doctor before using these products. For some, it's great. Like THC-CBD is the go-to uh, for soldiers these days when they come back with PTSD. and The government actually pays for their weed. Uh, so we see a lot of patients using marijuana responsibly to help with their, with their PTSD. But I believe that marijuana makes a great medical product if used properly under a doctor's care. Not so sure how it's playing out uh, recreationally. I mean, people use it, okay, of course. But, you know, the problem that we're having is that people don't know how to use it, and it's now available. So it's not like you're a street user and you're pretty much a bit of a, an expert on how to get your weed, use your weed, and all that stuff. In the States, recreational use of edible cannabis products became popular in the 60s. And today, many different types of edibles are available, legally and illegally, depending on where you go. So gummies, candies, chocolates, capsules, teas, and all the oils and edible cannabis products sold in both legal Cannabis dispensaries throughout the illegal markets. Edible enthusiasts also make their own, so you can you can eat raw cannabis, the flour. Uh, it won't have the same effect as consuming a cannabis-based product, as it's got to go through a process, and that process requires heat, right? So eating raw cannabis won't, you know, you have to expose uh, both the THC and the CBD to heat in order to activate it. So eating raw cannabis won't result in the same effects um, until they've been properly heated and so on. Obviously, you roll it in a joint smoke it or in a pipe or whatever. Though you can't get high from eating raw cannabis, some of the proponents believe, some people believe it offers other health benefits. So cannabis can be consumed in various forms throughout history. We've seen it for medical and recreational product, uh, purposes. But you can't really, if you can eat raw cannabis, it won't have the same effect. So people are going to edibles and the edible products um, that we're using to seeing today are of a very high quality. So I've got like right now hundreds of patients using CBD and THC, mostly CBD, you know, uh, heroin users that are now recreational or not recreational, medical users of of marijuana in various forms. They do very well. Same with uh, people with alcohol disorder, PTSD, and so on. Helps with sleep and all kinds of stuff. So there's some really cool parts of the plant, the CBD part, which works really well. But there's ways to buy uh, you, you need to buy your edibles in an intelligent way. And you need to use them in an intelligent way. So, for example, unlike smoking it, right, it has a long-lasting effect when you eat it. And once you've chewed it up and swallowed it, it's very difficult to get it back out of your system. you need to drink tons and tons of water and try to pee it out or get it out or you know, eat some food and, and soak it up. But, you know, you may find that you, what you need to do is uh, spend some time uh, figuring out, you know, exactly – um you know how much to use use a little bit at a time uh follow the packaging use what they tell you that's really the way to go here so if you're interested in finding out uh, about more about it there's lots of information on how to properly consume marijuana and if by the way god forbid someone in your family has a, a problem you call 911 immediately and by the way when you call 911 don't you find sort of ask yourself how these guys do it and like it's such a difficult job and uh how are they dealing with the pandemic and the stress around it and all that stuff like oh my gosh people ask me that stuff all the time of course i tell them i do i have a great family lots of family support i'm involved in a lot of self care and i see a therapist but if you're wondering who who helps the people out there helping you when we come back from break, we're going to talk to someone who set up a program that's there for first responders in X Copper. And, and uh, he figured he needed to do more once he retired. And uh, he created an amazing organization called Boots on the Ground. As soon as we come back from break, we're going to talk to him, find out how they're all coping and what they're doing to help one another. See you in just a minute. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto.
1: And welcome back. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yona Bud. I'm your host here on Road to Recovery. It's about a show about helping each other figuring out a way to get through this, come out the other side in one piece and feeling good about ourselves. It's 1019. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, especially those that might be a little, uh, you know, may need a little more attention? Make sure you know where everybody is, your kids, your dogs, seniors, and so on. If you have a problem with that, give us a call here right now, 416-870-6400, or call 911 if you think they're really at risk. Speaking of calling 911, Business is uh, booming, unfortunately, for an Ontario peer support organization uh, for first responders. Calls are way up for the 160 volunteers at Boots on the Ground who offer uh, an ear for first responders struggling with their mental health, according to their charity's founder, Dave McLennan, who's our guest here tonight. Those calls are set to increase even uh, as the charity now is offering services to nurses. Uh, A lot of times people feel so much better just getting things off their chest, says McLennan. The organization is made up of active or retired police officers, firefighters, paramedics, correctional officers, dispatchers, dispatchers, and nurses who answer a helpline. So these are people helping each other, peers helping peers. Uh, they, they've answered 135 calls in the last three months compared to 74 for the same period last year. I think it's because the pandemic's wearing on the unprecedented stress the first responders are under right now, he said, according to the McLennan. We wanted to make sure people are aware we're out there. Lynn Finley, she's a registered practical nurse, said that The time has come for a peer support programming, program, excuse me, for her profession. Nurses are struggling in the pandemic. There's a lot of stress that hasn't been, th- that hasn't been there before. She says, you hope that your PPP is working. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And you don't know who you're seeing and you don't know if you're bringing this virus home and all that kind of stuff. So recent polls indicate that nurses have been feeling burnt out and so on. And uh, people like Dave McLennan have put together an organization to try to uh, help these folks. They launched in 2018, provide support 24 seven. Mr. McLennan, first of all, let me thank you for your service both before retirement and since retirement. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure you're probably saving more lives post-retirement than you did when you were on the street as a copper, wouldn't you say?
2: I'm certainly hoping so, Yona. Yeah, uh, we're certainly uh, trying anyway.
1: Well, it's great to have you, and I appreciate you being here tonight. People that don't know anything about Dave, uh, on the verge of his retirement, he felt he needed to do more, and uh, he wanted to serve in some way. So he became the passionate, very very passionate about the impact and exposure to trauma. Uh, so Boots on the Ground is made up of retired folks, as we said earlier, and that's peers helping peers. Uh, amazing, amazing situation. Uh, the Quick question, though, a couple for you, I guess, personally, Dave. First of all, thanks for coming. Second of all, um, is did you experience this kind of stuff yourself? and then found that, you know, you didn't have anybody to talk to and you wanted to fill the void when it became, you know, it became uh, an opportunity for you to do so?
2: Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here, Yona. And uh, certainly in the 30 years of my career, I don't know any first responder who doesn't go through some ups and downs. I personally did not have uh, or do not have PTSD, but certainly have some ups and downs over my 30 years. Uh, And the other motivation is uh, I saw a lot of people suffer through my 30 years, uh, um, and there were unfortunate situations where people uh, struggle with alcohol, marital issues, stress issues, and in the worst case, uh, suicides of friends and coworkers. So it was uh, the need that we saw uh, that needed to be out there. We needed to have an option for first responders to go other than their workplace, and that's why we started Boots on the Ground.
1: You know, I've seen uh, in my facility at the farm in Stillville where we treat people with mental health and addiction issues in residence. Uh, we get uh, often uh, many first responders. But I had I had, a, I had a, a copper not long ago, maybe a year or so ago, and we were having a chat, and he was explaining to me that you know now that he's retired, you know he really doesn't know what to do but drink and so on. But we went and we talked a lot about the post-traumatic stress, uh, Dave. And uh, he said when he was a copper way back, he had retired, so he's you know in his late fifties now. So back in the day, as you guys would say. Um, you know, he was, when he saw some, he saw some horrible car accident, kids were, you know, kids were dead, it was a horrible situation, went in, spoke to a sergeant, and the sergeant said, go on your way home, pick up a Mickey, and uh, we'll expect to see you in the morning, and that's how you deal with it, and uh, that's how he learned to deal with his stuff, whether, uh, you know, that was a real story or not, but that was certainly his interpretation. Times have changed though, right, buddy? Like even, you know, even on the job, um, forces and organizations are doing more now, uh, hopefully with your input, so that they're giving, you a hand, and it's not, just rel- it's not just relying on the peer support folks. Is, is that really a fact?
2: 100%, yeah. Things have come a long way uh, for me 35 years ago, absolutely. Things have come a long way. Uh, back in the day, as you said, we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about our feelings. Uh, we didn't want to show any weakness, although mental health is not a weakness. That's the way it was looked at back then. So uh, yeah. definitely it has come a long way, and the organizations have come a long way. Uh, there's great, there's sport organizations out there and organizational wellness, uh, where I work, they had a fantastic unit, uh, but there's still a percentage of people that won't go to work for help. about confidentiality, it prevents them from going to work. So that's why we want to offer an alternative.
1: Okay. So I'm a, I'm a, you know, as much as I'm a crisis guy and I see people in treatment in both, you know, outpatient, inpatient, um, but I'm a big believer in education. So, um, preventative stuff, right? So what are we doing in the academy? these days and how much uh, are these folks relying on the input that folks like you can provide and are we training the the up and coming uh, first responders in in all forms whether it's uh, fire uh, police uh, emergency services or whatever are we training them at the school level dave and if not shouldn't we be
2: Uh, Yeah, it's my understanding that they are training them at that level with uh, wellness and um, all sorts of things to do to help them to prevent uh, problems from happening and when problems do happen, uh, to let them know about the resources that are out there. Uh, We do work hand in hand with a lot of uh, the uh, first responder organizations. Uh, and we do have a relationship with the Ontario Police College and other other colleges out there. So definitely they are working on wellness and they are working on coping skills and strategies for first responders. And uh, I'm happy to say that uh, we have a great relationship with these organizations and we work hand in hand. We're, we're not saying either are doing a bad job. We're looking at it like the more people we catch in the net, the better. It doesn't matter who they call as long as they call someone.
1: You know, often people say to me, you know, what do you see for the future? I said, you know, my dream for the future is where I no longer have a job. Um, I'm hoping you feel similar, uh, that at some point, maybe boots on the ground won't be needed because we'll catch it early enough and have, you know, on the job, on the fly support, um, you know, in the, in the, in the station, in the detachment or wherever. Uh, but let me ask you something though, my friend. What you obviously take calls yourself at, at this stage, I'm sure still, right? Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Give me an idea of, the, of, the, of a typical call. We, we've got about a minute or so left here. Give me an idea of a typical call uh, that you've, you've you know been engaged with uh, or in and uh, what the outcome.
2: Sure. We have people calling in with uh, all sorts of different uh, stress-related issues that they're dealing with, whether it's PTSD or they may have had a bad call or it could be anything non-work related. It could be having trouble at home or it could be a substance abuse issue, uh, sleep issues, whatever the issue is. We can talk about it, and then we're in a position to offer uh, referrals to vetted resources and clinicians and addiction centers and uh, group meetings that we can offer people. So um, we have a a wide range of uh, reasons why people call in, but it doesn't matter why you're calling in. Uh, We're here to listen. It's first responders listening to other first responders, and then we can offer referrals to resources and different centers after uh, to help people long term. Uh, so it's a wide range of uh, of issues, and it certainly doesn't matter what the issue is. Uh, people can call in
1: well Dave McLennan you're uh, you're some kind of guy I hope you'll come back come back and uh, we can talk about how you're progressing and if you want to share some information with us and let the public know my show is available to you whenever you think it's a good time just let us know if not we'll reach out to you for sure organizations called Boots on the Ground if you need them you can find them uh, just Google Boots on the Ground and uh, look for the information and I highly recommend you get the support you need and there's guys like Dave out there that uh, just want to help that's all they want to do and uh, we take our hats off to Them and wish them well. We'll be back uh, right after break here. We're going to talk about the other side of the policing equation. What happens when you get caught and have to go to jail, end up in prison? We're going to have some prison related stories and talk to a, a, an inmate who spent most of his life in prison right soon as we come back from break. So do what you got to do. Hurry back here. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a
0: serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto.
1: Okay. Welcome back. Hope you had a chance to get yourself something to drink, use the bathroom, maybe stretch your legs a little bit because settle down. We're going to do some more stuff. And I really appreciate you joining us tonight. I know you have options and choices, but Sophia and I and our team really uh, appreciate you choosing us. We'd love to hear from you, though, when we do open up the phone for segments. So line up because segment number four is a call in show and there's gonna be tons of people waiting to say hello to me and talk about some stuff. Federal Prison Services. Remember I said we're going to be on the other side of the law coming back from the break. Prison systems uh impro- found out that there's a pre- the federal system improperly listened to inmate calls with lawyers, according to a survey. The federal prison staff intercepted conversations uh, between an inmate and their lawyer without approval in 10% of cases reviewed, uh, amounting to possible breaches of solicitor-client privilege. Newly released Correctional Services of Canada uh, audit discovered that the lack of guidance and training led to other significant compliance issues, including failure to support or document grounds for snooping on prisoners' communications and so on. We found that several key uh, activities associated with the communications intercept process were not always compliant with with requirements, according to the April 2021 audit report. Like, no kidding. Seriously, I'm not sure they really needed to do an audit uh, to do this. It stresses that given the implications for an inmate's privacy, it's essential that the prison service have an effective framework in place to ensure interceptions, respect the law, and so on. So uh, prison officials aren't permitted to intercept privileged communication. Lawyers and inmates and people like me, investigators, were entitled to have one-on-one um, privileged communication, which means no one can hear it, and uh, that's where, you know, people can say whatever it is they want to say without a concern. Um, <clears throat> also, another, uh, another story that we're looking at um, related to being a prisoner, uh, recently in the Star, uh, the Toronto South Jail Guard was sent sentenced to house arrest for breaking an inmate's jaw, um, knocking out several teeth that uh, caused bodily harm, apparently only hit him once, like, yeah, come on. And uh, the guy's name is uh, Robert Roach. He's a rookie cop, a rookie correctional officer, has been fired, 25 years old, hardly uh, hardly on the job for very long. But he's got Harry Black as his lawyer. He's an amazing guy. He uh, does great work for uh, police officers uh, who've... Uh, run a foul. and uh anyway they're trying to uh you know he, i think uh, harry black said the poor the, this poor guy roach will now you know miss his opportunity for lifelong dream of becoming a police officer thank god that this guy isn't going to end up a cop with a badge and a gun Right, Edward. I have Edward Hertrick, uh, on the phone with me. He was born and raised in Toronto's Regent Park. Uh, he left high school in grade 11 to start working. A year later, he started dealing in drugs and became a criminal career that resulted, a criminal, a criminal, cr- started, excuse me, a criminal career that resulted in him being incarcerated for 35 of the next 40 years of his life. He wrote a book that I've read and we've become friends since then called Wasted Time. Uh he describes his time behind bars once considered a serious threat to public safety. He now spends uh, spent much of his time at Millhaven, which is a maximum security prison in Canada. Uh houses most of the dangerous inmates in Canada for murder, bank robbery and that kind of stuff. Uh he now dedicates his life to helping people. Uh he's on my committee for youth guns and guns guns gangs and violence. Uh he uh does a lot of work with um zero gun violence and uh, trying to help kids find their way to the other side. Eddie, how are you tonight, brother? It's so great to have you on.
3: Good evening, Yona. Nice to talk with you again.
1: Yeah, I got the boys back in town, right? So we got the team back, and uh, we're ready for a new season or two or three.
3: What subject would you like to broach on first?
1: Well, I'd like to talk about um, the experience between um, inmates and guards in in the prison system. Uh, you know, obviously the study I was talking about indicates breaches of, of trust through, you know, listening in on phone calls and I'm sure reading mail and such. But from a, an inmate's perspective, give me an idea of the relationship between an inmate and a guard just on a regular day.
3: Well, on a regular day, there isn't much interaction between inmates and guards uh, with regards to, uh, you know, uh, telephone surveillance, uh, most inmates realize there's a sign right over the phone saying, you know, your conversations could be monitored. Uh, in my experience, I've received mail from my lawyers that have been uh, accidentally opened by uh, the visiting and correspondence staff. I've had other mail that's been given to me where it looks like it's been steamed open and tried to glued back. I've, ha- I've been the recipient of numerous uh, notifications that my Phone conversations had been under wiretap, but there was no relevant information that was good for security. Security has a carte blanche kind of thing in the federal system uh, for for putting wiretaps on certain individuals that they believe they have information on, whether that information is founded or not, and they act upon it. And uh, it's a fishing expedition, and sometimes they get lucky, and a lot of times they don't. If they don't get lucky, they give you a notice saying, you know, you were the recipient or uh, you were uh, the subject of wiretap, but, you know, you're okay now. And if they do get some food at the poison tree, so to speak, uh, yeah. that inmate is generally locked up and shipped out, and uh, he doesn't have any recourse. I read the article, um, and I see that, you know, uh, guidance and training for staff is uh, one of the uh, recommendations. I believe that, you know, a lot of them need that. I think, you know, for inmates, they they know that their phone conversations, if they don't know, they should know, um, is being listened in on, whether it's legal, you know, clergy, whatever, any conversations that have to go through the uh, the institution.
1: How do you, how do you make sure, like, you know, when you're an inmate, how do you make sure that the guys on the block with you that you're you know, outside working out with or, you know, having, uh, you know, doing whatever with, how do you make sure that one of them isn't a rat or wired or, you know, I hear stories all the time from uh, inmates that, you know, when I spent my 10 years at OCI, you know, get a lot of prisoners or a lot of inmates came in there from other institutions and, um, you used to hear all kinds of stories about uh, you know them. They're 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 uh, you know they have a a cell for three months. Next thing you know, he shows up at trial giving evidence against them. Um, is that is that a real thing or is that just a, a rare experience?
3: No, it's not a rare experience at all. Actually, um, OCI is a, a, a provincial institution as opposed right. to what we're talking in federal. Federal is right. uh, less less. Uh, likely to happen. But it does happen. And sometimes it will happen with the guy that's been in the next all you uh for eight years, ten years. I, I've seen that with guys that I held with inside. And uh, you know, ten years later, twelve years later they testified on incidents that happened within the institution, not against me, but against other people. Um they just I don't know, hit their hit their limit I guess and decided to look for a way out and uh, you know, to fight against your fellow prisoners but uh generally you know you keep your, your you keep your circle tight as tight as you can you know
1: so i mean out you know is it is it something that you can you know that's you can't avoid i mean obviously you can't spend as much time as someone like you might have uh, in prison i mean you spent a lot of years in prison behind bars in various places i mean how do, it's almost impossible to do that just staying to yourself right i mean you have to have some type of social life to try, try to survive don't you
3: well, um, not really. I mean, the last few years, I pretty much stayed by myself uh this last time I, before I come home um and during the beginning in the middle of that sentence, um I was in a farm camp and I didn't hang around with anybody but uh the rats that were in that farm camp and it's in my all in my book wasted time that uh you know they were worried that I was there because they knew. Uh I knew who they were, and they were putting information in on me every week uh which was total nonsense, but I ended up being transferred to uh higher security on suspicion, so you know um they got what they wanted, even though I had done nothing wrong, so you can't really protect yourself.
1: I'm talking to Edward Hertrick. He's uh, the author of the book, Wasted Time. It's something you got to get. You can get it on Amazon and anywhere else you can get books. Uh, it's a great book to read. Uh, you got to find out more about um, his experiences. You know, the, the other, uh, Eddie, we got a little more time here. So, so There's other article I think I might have mentioned to you uh, when we talked about uh, coming on together tonight uh, <clears throat> was a story about the young uh, guard that punched a, 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 an inmate in the face, and broke his jaw and knocked out teeth and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I would think in 2021 with all the supervision and all the kind of committees that are out there and, you know, uh, the oversights and all the political um, involvement in the prison systems now, are, are, are guards still getting away with this garbage? I mean, are they still able to, to physically abuse a, an inmate and get away with it? I mean, obviously, this guy didn't get away with it, but is he is he one that slipped through the cracks and the majority of them do?
3: Uh, well, in my opinion, and, and I believe this, um, and, and again, in my book, I talk about the brutality of guards way back when, like 40, 50 right. years ago. And I think right. that, you know, they've evolved as, you know, um, the culture has changed, and I believe with the surveillance in the institutions now it kind of curbs their abilities and I think some of the old guards uh, with the Neanderthal mentalities are being replaced by more intelligent individuals, so there's like, less likely to see that um, a lot of times you, you know, and as an ambassador, it changed for the one by one movement with led by my friend Marcel Wilson, uh, I've talked to groups and talked to them and about the public being better served with uh, daily reports of how many violent uh, incidents happen in these uh, provincial institutions, these detention centers. Um, because it's, it's a very violent place for people to be. Uh, right. They're just being arrested off the street. There's all different personalities. There's guys are with uh, mental issues, drug addiction problems. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's under stress. And it's a, it's it's a melting pot for violence. And these guys that go work in there, um, it's not like the old Toronto goon squad is still up and running, uh, right. you know. But uh, these guys are trained, um, you know, and they're taught by older guards on how to handle situations. In that report there on this incident that you referred to, uh, I have a lot of questions about that because I wonder what the incident was that had the person doing weekends. Exactly. He had to do is weekend okay. in the hole. So obviously they had some information that wasn't favorable to him. And, you know, he refused to go. And anytime you're a prisoner in, in an institution and they say you're going to the hole, you're going to the hole. And if you want to fight them, they'll fight you. <laughs> so you're um, <laughs> still going to the hole, you know. Yeah. I I've, I've fought the Don jail guards. I fought the East Detention guards. I, I, I've been through this. I got jumped by the guards out in London, uh, Middlesex, you know, Elgin, Middlesex, out in London there. So, And I've been well, beaten all the way to the hole. So I, I understand that.
1: I'm glad you're here to, uh, to help us understand, and I, I'm uh, hoping that uh, your work continues uh, with Marcel and the team. Uh, we're going to have, as a matter of fact, we're going to have Lou, uh, Louie on pretty soon here in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, man, listen, stay in touch, and we're going to uh, have you on again as, uh, as time permits, and we have stories related to stuff that I think you can help us share. It's great to hear from you. Hope you're staying well, and uh, we'll be in touch sometime soon. Edward Hertrick, the author of a book called Wasted Time. You need to read it. Great guy. Uh, excellent. Mentor kids pay attention to him. He is making a difference on the street, uh, so he's uh, definitely one of the good guys. When we come back, speaking of kids, a uh, lot more drinking going on in the pandemic. Well, let's find out is it really the truth? Are kids drinking more, teens and such, or not? Well, as soon as we come back, we're going to talk about a story related to that and more stuff. This is Yona Bud, six forty, Toronto. <laughs>
0: 416 870 6400. Talking about and helping with addiction. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud
1: on 640 Toronto sound sounds autonomous, doesn't it? That do 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 that music. Anyway, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for the last segment of the show. Great to have you all on with us tonight and paying attention and joining us, 416-870-6400. We'd love to hear from you if you're in Toronto, 888-225-TALK, if you're outside the local GTA call-in, if there's such a thing that even exists anymore. I don't know. Is there still such a thing as long-distance calling? Who even knows? Anyway, we want to hear from you. And if you want to send us some information or just a note or let me know how you feel about the show or some ideas ideas you'd like us to talk about, road to recovery at 640toronto.com, road to recovery at 640toronto.com. But we want you to call right here, right now, 416 We need to hear from you because that's how my boss knows that people are listening. Well, no, not really. But it helps, right? And I need to keep this job, man. Like, you know, I got to take care of my mom, my grandma. I'm I'm just kidding. It's all good. Okay, so study on heavy drinking in young adults and the psychological impacts of COVID-19. I love this for one big reason. Most of the studies I share with you are usually American uh, or internationally driven from the organizations I belong in. They send me daily reports and information, so continuous learning as a therapist and a crisis counselor. But this one came from McMaster University. In Hamilton, a novel longitudinal study on heavy drinking in young adults and the psychological impacts of Covid nineteen has revealed some unexpected findings that challenge preconceived notions regarding pandemic related alcohol use. In a sample, and no, pay attention, in a sample of nearly five hundred young adults ranging in age from eighteen to twenty five, researchers saw a reduction in problematic drinking and alcohol cons- consequences during the initial phase of the pandemic for for both men and women. This is in contrast. Many anecdotal reports of in- increased drinking and increased household spending on alcohol during the same period. I can tell you for sure that Ford, uh, Premier Ford, did not want to shut down the liquor store. I uh, didn't want people freaking out because they couldn't get their booze during the pandemic. Uh, that and weed uh, were available to be delivered to you, you know, anytime, even during the worst of the shutdowns uh, but we're finding now according to this study that actually um, you know they're suggesting that the numbers have gone down i can tell you based on my practice and the um, probably 100 and so patients that we've seen this year uh, in the last 17, 18 months in outpatient and probably, um, you know, several, close to several hundred in inpatient over the same period, maybe 170. I see an increase in substance abuse and use, uh, alcohol specifically. I see a ton of people drinking, uh, you know, their 5 o'clock uh, beer is now at noon and so on. But according to this study, uh, these people ranging from 18 to 25, they saw a reduction uh, in in, uh, in drinking. And I think the results come, it's the complexity of, of the impacts of the pandemic because really it's, what they're talking about is that the restrictions on socialized drinking. So there's a lot of people that are social drinkers, like they drink at the bar, they drink at the common room or the common house uh, on campus, they drink in their buddies' rooms and so on. You know, that most kids that are off at college or away don't really drink by themselves unless... They have a problem. You know, having one beer while you're doing your homework is one thing. I'm talking about drinking to the point where you're trying to get a buzz to make your crummy day a little bit better. That's problem drinking. So we're talking. these study here talks about the risks of alcohol in this group, and that uh, there's a reduction as a result of um, as a result of uh, restrictions in the socialization. So less people drinking in par- bars and pubs and so on. So maybe the di- maybe the, the study uh, didn't reach the people that are really having a problem, uh, which we know is 50%. We have a 50% increase in substance abuse since the beginning of the, um, the lockdown periods and the uh, horrific time we've just been through and now coming out the other side. And by the way, we definitely are coming out the other side, so... Let's pick up our socks and do all the right things and start enjoying our lives and having a life again because this uh, bully is now going to be beaten and we are no longer going to be victims. But, you know, the the amount of drinking that we're talking about, the problematic drinking, I'm not sure is going to rear its head in this kind of a study because for the most part, the kind of people that I deal with, the majority of the patients that I see aren't likely to want to answer a phone call and talk to someone who is doing a research study on problematic drinking. So the social side of drinking has gone down. Okay. So we know that, right? Because people aren't out there socializing. It's just, it just makes sense. It's common sense. It's not, it's not genius in any way. Right. But the type of drinking that I'm talking about, the problematic drinking that I'm talking about is the kind of drinking that happens when there isn't anybody else around. So let's talk about that a little bit. Are you finding it difficult to just kind of get through the day without having, you know, that 5 o'clock beer at maybe noon or 1 o'clock, or you, or you find yourself just kind of clenching your fists, kind of chip chopping down on your teeth, you know, waiting for, get close enough to 5 o'clock so you can have a drink. Is that what you're doing? A lot of people have that problem. A lot of people are smoking joints a lot earlier. A lot of people are taking their pain meds a little more often than they should. You know, some of it's boredom. Right. So boredom leads to problematic substance abuse, boredom, not having something to do, not having a good schedule. A lot of it comes from, you know, trying to make a crummy day better. And we all know, all of us know that you can't drink away, smoke away, or pill yourself away from a lousy day. It doesn't happen for long. You might get a buzz or get kind of numb for a little bit. But then when you come back, that same, you know, mess storm, because I have to be careful with my language, that same storm of stuff is still there, right? Except now you're a little hungover, and now you might be feeling guilty. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we control the things that we do during this period of time. We've got a few minutes to do that, so pay attention. If you want to write down some notes, please feel free to do so. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you find that whatever substances you're doing are doing you more than you're doing them, meaning they're calling you. You're looking forward to them. You're you're, you're planning a, around using them when you're not using. When it becomes a, a part of your life that's part of coping, that's problematic stuff. I'm talking about smoking a joint on a Friday night with a couple of guys and having a bit of a buzz or eating a couple of gummies because you know how they feel and they know how they work, so you're not going to get sick and, and overdose on them or whatever. You can't really overdose on edibles, but you can get really, really sick, right? And have a buzz that you can't get rid of because it's already in your system. We talked about that earlier in the show. If you were listening, that's when you, that's when you have to do homework, right? you got to pay attention because you never know when I'm going to come, come up with stuff and go, hey, remember we said that about 40 minutes ago? Yeah. Problematic substance abuse, folks. It's a big deal. So we've got to pay attention. Are we, are we doing the things we should be doing when we're doing them? So self-care. Getting up in the morning, making sure you have a good meal, doing a little meditation, doing a bit of a workout, getting ready for your day, planning your day, having a bit of a self-care time at lunchtime. We do a little meditation, a little soft music, something to relax you. Getting into the afternoon, same thing at the end of the day. Break your day into pieces. Make sure you've got stuff to do. If you don't got stuff to do, go find something to do. Lots of places need volunteers. Lots of things you can do if you don't have a job. I have people that say to me, Yona, like, why would I work? I make more money on uh, financial aid from the government. Yeah, like that's a problem too. But if substances are an issue for you, you need to put them down. And you need to look at how often you're doing things. And if you're increasing your consumption, you need to find ways to skip that consumption. You need to pass on days. You need to break the cycle if you're in a cycle of abuse or or, or extreme use. You can reach out to me, right? Road to Recovery at 640toronto.com. I'll offer free advice and counsel to anybody that wants to reach out at any time. Can always reach me. If you need to reach me in an emergency, 877 777 5808 is an emergency 24 hour, 24 7 line that's monitored that will get to me and I'll be able to help anybody who needs that kind of help. But before I go, I want to say something. You know, watching your consumption of everything, not just alcohol and, and, and weed and stuff like that, but food. Are, are you eating properly enough or too much? You know, Coca-Cola, you know, soft drinks, Red Bull, things that are stimulating you. Make sure you've got everything that you're using under control in an even pace, not too much of anything. Too much of anything, even if it's a good thing, can be too much, right? So be careful with what you're doing. Be careful with what you're using. Remember that we're coming out the other side of this. Socialize if you're not being left alone to yourself and with nothing to do. That's a That's a recipe to disaster that leads to really poor mental health and maybe some Terrible choices. Thank you for joining me tonight. It was fun. I would have loved to have heard, for, heard from you. So, next week, we expect you to give us a call and we're going to talk about more stuff next week, some more guests. Uh, it's been a pleasure being here with you tonight. Thank you. I know you have other choices and you choose us, and we appreciate that. So, you take care of yourself. Have a great week. Get outside, have some fun, get some food on the patio, support all the people locally, make sure they can make a living too. And we'll be back next week to do more of this, have some more fun, and learn some stuff together. This is Yona Bud, 640. Toronto.